Welcome to Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. Life in Accounting is the podcast for everyday heroes like you working in the accounting profession. Are you ready to hear from accounting influencers, thought leaders, visionaries, and other professionals leading change in the accounting world? Then stay tuned for Mark Goldman, a CPA, the owner of Where Accountants Go, and your host. Welcome to Life in Accounting. Just embrace change because it's going to constantly happen in your career, in your life. Uh, you'll go through, you know, lots of peaks, but you also go through lots of valleys. And I think it's so important to realize that, that, you know, that's natural and normal. Hello, everyone. I'm Mark Goldman, a CPA and your host for Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. That clip was from Lisa Trefker. Lisa joined us on this episode to share the story of her career journey with us, and particularly so we can get some insight into the career field of business analytics, where she's been working for the last six years or so. I also took the opportunity to discuss another experience she mentioned, working with an organization as they unfortunately had to navigate through Chapter 11 bankruptcy as well as the subsequent acquisition of that company. Experiences that definitely none of us want, but as with everything in life, there are always lessons we can glean from those experiences. Lisa is a very positive and just tremendously cheerful individual. I think you're really gonna enjoy this interview. She mentions several charitable organizations as well at the end, so don't forget to check out the written version of the show notes online at www whereaccountantsgo.com for links to all of those organizations as well. Here we go with Lisa Trefker. Well, good morning, Lisa. Thank you for joining us today. I know this is going to be a really great episode. You've got a unique background, and I know it's just going to be of wonderful benefit to our listeners. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Mark, for having me. I'm really excited to be on a podcast. I've always had this vision of doing a podcast. I don't know why, so just know you're making someone's dream come true today. And I know before me, a lot of wonderful people have been on your podcast, and two in particular that I I know, Janice Flynn and Susan Huff, and I'm really honored to be a part of this episode. Well, thank you. That's wonderful. You're the first guest that's told me that I'm making their dream come true. So <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> that made your day, I'm sure. It's making my day. So yes. <laughs> well, so that our listeners have a little background information. As Lisa mentioned, she was referred to us by a few previous guests, actually some of our most downloaded guests, actually. Lisa has some unique experiences, at least for us. So far on this podcast, she's working currently in a business analytics role, and I definitely want to delve deep into that. She's also had some previous experiences working with a prior organization as they navigated through Chapter 11. She's been with an organization through an acquisition, and so there's just going to be a whole lot of lessons that that we all can take from this, this interview. So I'm really looking forward to it. Before we get into all that, though, Lisa... If you don't mind, I always like to start at the beginning so our listeners can get an idea of really where you came from and and how you got to where you are today. What led you to pursue accounting in the first place as a career? Sure, sure. That's a, I think that's a great question. And I've, I've thought about that a lot. And I think most people do, uh, you know, why, why did I choose accounting and a a CPA specifically? How did I make that determination? Especially at my, I'll I'll reveal my age. You know, I graduated in 1986 from high school from a very small town uh, just west of Fort Worth. And back then, no internet, you know, computers were just coming out. So, you know, there wasn't a lot of information. And my parents were both school teachers. 
And my junior year in high school, when I was 16, we had to write a paper, just unlike, you know, most people write papers in in your English class about what we wanted to pursue as a career. And I remember very distinctly writing the paper and saying that I was going to be a CPA. And I don't really know, looking back, I, I think about that and I thought, how would I have even known what a CPA was? And the only thing I can glean was my best friend's mom worked for a CPA in town, uh, the town I grew up in, for a very short period of time, about three months. And I remember her telling me, he was a tax accountant and a CPA, that that he made a lot of money. And and I thought, well, hey, you know, that sounds like a pretty good gig. So I think that's what I'm going to do. So that was my junior year. So my senior year in high school, I thought, well, I better take an accounting class just to even see if I like accounting. And so I did and went to UIL competition, you know, in our district and actually placed pretty pretty well. I think I came in fourth in the district and thought, well, you know, this this might be something I can actually be okay at. I never thought I would advance. You know, I was just like, you know, I probably get a job after college if I get my accounting degree. So from then, from there on, that was what I pursued. I actually went to a community college my first two years. We didn't have the money. My parents were both school teachers. We really didn't have the money for me to go off to school. And then I transferred into the University of North Texas and graduated there in 1990. And I remember also about midway through in my junior year, I had this wonderful accounting teacher and he was just fabulous. And I remember he was kind of setting the table the first week of class and and he was telling us all about the profession. And this was the first time I'd heard a lot about the profession itself. And, And one thing he said that always stuck with me after all these years, he said, if you like people, and he almost said them in this, in these words, if you like people, then the accounting profession is probably not for you. And I thought to myself, it was really interesting. I thought to myself at that moment when he said that, because I kind of like people, you know, and, and, but I said, you know, eh, I don't think I really like people. So I think this is profession is for me. And the reason I, I tell that story is because I never let anything change my perspective or my goal to become a CPA, because there's always, there was always different things that would pop up and I'd be like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. And I I think, you know, as more information came in, it made me question. But I also said, well, you know what, that may or may not be true. And I'm going to go ahead and, and pursue this accounting degree and become a CPA. So I graduated and again, not a lot of information, still computers were pretty, the internet wasn't around. And so really the information I got about going, you know, what to do once I graduated was from my fellow, my peers. And I had a friend that said, you have to go into public accounting. You have to do it. If you're going to be a a really good accountant, you've got to go into public accounting. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go into public accounting. And I, through college, I worked in a local bank. So I did everything in that bank. I would call it now, you'd call it now an internship. I called it, you know, a part-time job so I could survive through college, right? (laughs) And so, so I did everything from bookkeeping to closing out the computer software at night from working in the credit department. And then finally, I, I moved up and was a teller for several years. And with that experience, though, it did allow me to interview. And I interviewed with Big Six. I interviewed with banks. You know, Bank One was a big bank in Dallas. And I interviewed with a mid-size public accounting firm, a small, actually, about 35 professional public accounting firm. So I got offers from all of them and I was really torn and I, I, you know, wanted to, everything said, well, go to the big six, you know, that's kind of where you should go. But I personally, I really enjoy getting to know the people I work with. And I knew I kind of, I guess I grew up in a small town and so I kind of felt like, you know, a smaller or mid-sized firm would be more attuned to my personality. Not that I necessarily knew all that at the time, but I did end up going to this smaller public accounting firm and we, their primary clientele were financial institutions. So it fit, it fit really well. And that was the best experience. They were located in Dallas and we audited financial institutions all in the area. And I, I do really encourage individuals who are 
planning to continue and get their CPA in accounting in general is to go into public accounting because I think it provides such a wonderful opportunity for you to learn in a group setting. You do, you know, audits together. Also, you know, project management experience essentially because as you move up and become a manager, you've got these group of people, you've got a project essentially to audit the financial statements and you really see the detail of every single account and aspect that builds up the financial statements of an organization. So for me, and plus you've got all the stakeholders involved, so there's a lot of communication that has to go on, and I really did enjoy my time in public accounting. And at that, after public accounting, I ended up going to work for one of our clients. So I worked for Inwood National Bank, which was in Dallas. It still is in Dallas. Did compliance originally and then was controller for that organization. Then my husband was transferred. He was law enforcement, so he was transferred. And I actually went to work back for the bank that I originally started with through college and was VP of accounting for that bank for many years. And then from there, so primarily financial, public accounting, and banking industry, then we moved here. My husband got transferred again. We moved to San Antonio. I've been in San Antonio 18 years. And I stayed home about four years with my children. I had two daughters at the time, and then, which I, I truly value that time that I, I did take off and spend just being mom. It was a wonderful experience. And then I was pregnant with my third child. I have a son also, and a colleague of mine, a, a past colleague, was also in San Antonio, and she was working for a small refinery on the south side of San Antonio. At the time, it was age refining. She asked me to come and to be part-time controller, and so I did. She left, and then I stayed there for a total of nine years. And as you mentioned, that's the organization that went moved into a Chapter 11 reorganization and then was acquired by New Star a year after the filing in 2011. And so I've been with New Star since then, so going six years now at New Star. And as you mentioned, part of a complete Chapter 11 bankruptcy situation and then an acquisition and transferring from a age was a, is a very, very small refinery, 12,000 barrels a day. We had about 100 employees moved into a New Star Energy, which is a 1,500 at corporate, but total 1,500 company, large company in my mind, and have been here six years and mainly responsible for the analytical side of the business. Wow. Okay. Thank you. I, I have a few questions because sure. I want to just fill in some gaps before we move into that, uh, in case I forget. I, I'm curious, how long were you in public before you moved out with that bank? I was in public for four years. Four years? Um, okay. Yes, four years. And I, I remember someone saying, you have to do at least four years. <laughs> and, you know, public back then, too. And I know it's still very, you know, it's it's stressful, right? There's a lot of a uh, lot of long nights and weekends when you're and busy season. And I even remember in that time in the early 90s, there wasn't a lot of flexibility and it was, it was a pretty stressful environment. And I always thought that I would, I would like to move into an industry and be a part of an organization like a bank. And the, the bank that I went to was in an acquisition mode. And so that was really exciting because I got to be a part of a lot of the due diligence that they performed. And so that was an exciting transition for me as well. And just in general, banking is such a mature organization and, and they have a tremendous best practice in place. I learned so much in terms of processes and procedures and those foundational things through my experience in banking that I've really taken with me as I've moved into other, you know, now the energy business. Still foundationally, your, your organization and your financial structure has to be set on best practices. And that is so important from an analytical standpoint because if you, if you set up a, a business unit in a, in a, any company, but like in a large company and you haven't really developed all the processes and procedures and controls, it makes it very hard to analyze 
that business and determine what the variances are and what's driving the positive or negative margins. And so that's one of the things I, as I've come here, I was able to, besides the analytics, also back up and use a lot of the experience I had from my banking industry experience to ensure that there's those those foundational things so that you get good information on the other side of it with respect to the financial results. And you can therefore analyze and explain to management what exactly is what the variances are, what the important issues are that need to be addressed by management. Okay. Okay. You know, I also didn't know about the time out of the workforce. And mm-hmm. I know that's, that is of interest, you know, to some individuals. So I'm curious, how long were you a stay-at-home parent? And then how did that transition work getting back into the workplace? Did, did you find that difficult or was the right opportunity available at the right time? Or? Yeah, absolutely both, I think, is the answer. I was out approximately four years and I stayed home primarily. I didn't work outside the home and just took care of my, my girls. And like I said, Previously, it was really the best time of my life. It was a, I considered it a season. It was a hard decision to make because I, I do love to work and I love going to work every day and, you know, being part of the workforce. And, but a decision that I made very consciously to take that time and be present with my kids because I knew that I wouldn't have that again. And by the time though, I, was pregnant with my third child, this opportunity came up. And again, a lot of, I think the opportunities that we have in our career and our life are based on connections that we've made throughout our career. And that's why it's, it is so important to develop relationships with your colleagues. And you never know in the future where you might, the right opportunity just presents itself for both of you. And so my previous colleague from Dallas was here, needed, needed some help from a controller standpoint. And again, she allowed me to work on a part-time basis. So since I was had two at home and and one on the way, that worked perfectly. It was still difficult. It was still challenging because just when they're little, inherently that that is the case. But it was the right opportunity that really allowed me to ease myself back into the workforce. And then she subsequently left the organization. And when she left, I did end up moving into a full-time position With three children, that was challenging. One of the things that me and my husband decided was that quality was more important than quantity, and he actually ended up stepping back. He was in law enforcement, which is a very difficult profession for two working parents, and he was specifically in narcotics. And what that meant was that at any point in time, he could be called away, and I would be left doing everything and having to manage everything by myself. And that was really challenging working full-time with three small children. So he actually stepped away and retired early from law enforcement and took on the primary role of of taking care of the kids at that point, as well as we started our own business and, and real estate investing. And he manages that still to this day. And that was over, I guess, 10 years ago that he did that. So that helped me then kind of move into and be able to manage my career in, with more flexibility. If I needed to stay late, I'm able, I was able to do that and still able to do that. And I know a lot of people don't have that. And I really admire people that can balance all those things. We just felt for our family, it was most important. And I know for me personally, is it to have one of the parents there and be able to, to be present in the kids' lives. So we kind of, we kind of tag teamed that uh, in terms of, you know, him working and me working and, and he works. It's just he has the flexibility of working from our home and still managing the kids and they get so busy and they are, you know, kids are active and there's so many things that they can be participate in and you're pulled in a lot of different directions. So that really did help me in my career path and in my journey to each of my my steps in terms of my career. Okay. Well, thank you. I know that's not something that either one of us probably planned to talk about, but I, I know that's 
the right decision for many people, and it's a hard decision at the same time. And so I, I, I appreciate you being open about that because I, I really do think that, that that's going to be helpful yes. you know, to some people that may be in that same boat. Thank you. Absolutely. So let's talk about business analytics. Tell us about your role now. I mean, what, how do you spend your days? Yeah. Sure. sure. <laughs> what does that really no. mean? What do you do? <laughs> well, what's really exciting, I, I like to... So I've been with Newstar six years, and I've been in the analytical role up until the last about three months of actually transitioned to a special project. But it's still in that same skill set. And I, so I think that's what's really exciting because I think accounting, you know, you get your accounting degree and your CPA and you go into a business and, and there's definitely a breadth and tremendous roles that you can take on in the financial pieces of the business. I always personally liked the operations, understanding how everything works. And when you want to know that information and you you spend a lot of time understanding process flows in terms of, okay, operationally, this is how the business works. Then you take the numbers that are resulting and you get to really dive into and figure out what's really going on. And then putting that in, in Simple. When I say simple terms, I mean, obviously, so that anyone in your business at the business unit levels, whether they're an engineer, whether they're your CEO, managers that don't necessarily have an accounting background, putting those into terms so that they can understand it as well. And I love doing that. I love telling a story, essentially, is what you're doing. So in my mind, too, analytics is very much technical, and you're using you know, both sides of your brain, though. But it's also very much an art, and the art side of it is, it is so important, and I think that gets missed because you think analytics, and you're just like this, you're just going to sit, and you're going to look at numbers all day, and you do. You look at a lot of numbers, so I definitely do that. Uh, but they all really tell a story. And you're trying to pull out that story. You're trying to understand from the management's perspective what's important and what are the drivers of this business and how can we best manage this business. And so you have to measure everything in order to effectively manage it. So we try to measure and manage the business in a way that is communicates that effectively back to the business managers. And what's really, I think, exciting about the opportunity to do that is you get to work with a lot of different departments. So because you're doing a lot of financial analytics, so that means I do budgeting, we do forecasting, and then we analyze results, right? So I have to work with all the different departments. So I get to work with the accounting department, which has amazing people who also understand the businesses at that level. And I get to work with the business managers who might be engineers, they might be traders. They're definitely from different backgrounds. And then really putting it all together so that we all have one story. Because as you can imagine, a marketer or a trader, because specifically I'm within the fuels marketing group, which has to do with trading fuel. And so we have a hedge book, we have a risk book, and there's derivative accounting associated with that. Well, they don't really want to know how derivative accounting works, but they kind of have to. (laughs) So we have to be able to explain to them why their financial results were one way because of the way accounting requires us to record things. But we also don't want it to get in the way of them doing deals and, and making money. So, but we all have to have the same story because what I experienced when I first came in is we kind of all had different stories. The marketer had one story, the uh, accounting people had a, a little different story, and then me on my end as the analyst, I might even have a, a slightly different story. So we really worked hard to come up with, okay, we all have to get on the same page and there has to be a cross-functional alignment in order for us to effectively manage this business and understand the business. Because as you can imagine, if everybody's in a different place, then the analytics isn't going to make sense to anyone. So it's really an interesting role in an organization because you do get that opportunity to work with a lot of different groups. And I think that really helped me then. And it gives you the opportunity to move into different roles within the organization. So as I mentioned, I recently was put into a project management position for a very large software implementation that Newstar is undertaking, where we're going to centralize and streamline all of our contracts. And Newstar has 
terminals and pipelines all across the United States. So as you can imagine, we have contracts all across the United States. We have a location in the UK. We have a Canadian location. We have one location down in St. Anastasia. So this is a big undertaking and requires a lot of organization skills, very similar to my analytical requirements, right? Organization, communication, and really driving to deadlines and timelines and things like that. So I think that I would really recommend anyone that is moving into a career that they look for opportunities in analytics because to me that's where all the fun happens, right? That's where <laughs> that's where you can really tell a story, you can look at numbers and analyze numbers and you you work that analytical side of your brain and you have to understand process procedures and accounting rules and but then you get the art side because it really some of it's not that straightforward and there's that understanding that's that you kind of have to put like several pieces together and explain it in a way that everyone can understand it. Okay. Wonderful. Yeah, I'm glad you sort of segued into that because I was curious if, you know, if I'm getting ready to get out of college Mm -hmm. or I'm early on in my career, are there any paths or, or preparations you think, you know, someone in that position could make that would help them be more attractive for an analytics role? Well, I truly, I I really think that I mentioned before public accounting is such a great training ground. I know there's others as well, but I think that you're getting a lot of those skill sets in that role in public accounting because you're having to analyze books of organizations that you may have never seen before, right? And so I think that that really helped me in my career think about things, not so much in debits and credits, you know, I mean, that's part of it, but also think about, well, how does this whole thing really work? And how, you know, how do we get the product from point A to point B and being able to read financial reports and audit reports kind of help me see the big picture because I think big picture is so important from an analytical standpoint. And there's steps to that, obviously. And like you said, from a beginning of your career, I think that's, that experience is invaluable. If you're wanting to go into industry, I think that looking for a role that is in definitely New Star and other energy companies or any industry, always there's analytical roles. And really getting into those because I always say one of the things I miss from, you know, I love being at corporate headquarters and with New Star, but I do miss being at the coffee maker, I say, or at a refinery where you actually get to see However, you know, see things moving and touching and feeling it because that's where the experience, a good accountant understands how the business operates and understands the operations from kind of beginning to end and wants to learn about it and is curious about that. You really have to be curious. I think to be a good analyst, you've got to be very, very curious, ask a lot of questions, and that really makes a difference in the way your career will go and and how you can move through an organization is by looking for those opportunities. We have a lot of examples of of wonderful accountants who do very different things than um, just, you know, work in the accounting department. So uh, the analytics is, is a perfect example. And my example of doing project management, uh, there's a lot of examples of that as well. And and if you get that experience, it really does propel you into other parts of the business that they're like, well, you know, she's pretty good at analyzing and organizing information and communicating that. Well, that's such a need in all aspects in different parts of the organization. Yeah, I'm a big proponent of the CPA certification and and obviously, you know, you are as well. I'm curious, are there any other certifications that are particularly applicable in the business analytics world? For me, there's not any other certifications that I have sought. I think one of the one of the things that I for young people in particular, and I know that most of them have grown up on computers and, and I know that for me as I go and I manage a lot of the analysts. Being a Power Excel user, maybe doesn't sound that exciting, but those are the people that I love because they can take any information and they can put it into a spreadsheet and they can really, you know, do amazing things with it, right? So when I hire someone for an analytical role and specifically for business analytics from a financial analysis standpoint, 
they better be a Power Excel user because we, we have a lot of different systems, unlike many organizations, large organizations, and we have to take information from different systems and then we have to put it together and see how we can come up with some information that's useful to our business managers. So that one, that's one piece that I think is really important for young people. And most of, most of the ones I see coming out of school have really grown up on it and can do some pretty amazing things in, in Excel. The other thing I would, I think, and I didn't get till my later, later in my life, but I did get my MBA. I, uh, as crazy as it sounds, in 2009, and this was just before we went through our reorganization at the refinery, I decided I needed to get my MBA. So I went, went through the executive MBA program at UTSA, which is a fabulous, wonderful program. And I learned a tremendous amount in that program. And so I, I, I value anybody that does the work and, and works towards their MBA. I think that's a, a great tool as you continue to grow in your leadership opportunities in your career. Sure. Well, and I mean, full-time job and only three children. I mean, there's mm-hmm. probably a whole lot of time for that. So. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Don't even know how I did it now, but... <laughs> Yeah, like I said, it was a little crazy when I look back now. I'm like, how in the world? What was I even thinking? But I, and of course, hadn't anticipated a reorganization. So, but, you know, one of the things I, I just never quit, right? You have to be somebody. And so I was like, well, even though we had started in September 2009 in the program, we filed for reorganization February 2010. I was like, well, I can't. I just can't quit. Like, I'll make this work. And uh, yeah, it was, there wasn't much sleep going on during that time. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's funny. (laughs) Well, I I don't like to ask people what they would have done differently because Mm I, yeah, I think our lives take the path they take for a reason. But if you could go back in time and give your younger self any piece of advice, you know, what do you think that might be? You know, I think that, and I agree with you, I think our lives take so many turns and twists. I think that the piece of advice I would give myself, and this is me personally, and everybody deals with things so differently, but I would kind of two things. I think (laughs) I call them the two C's. So chill and change. So when I say chill, like I realized that I stress, I wasn't able to process stress effectively. And I think a lot of people experience this as well. So I, from about 25 to 40, I experienced a lot of back pain and I attributed it to everything else, but stress in my life. I attributed it to, oh, I'm running too much or I'm not, you know, this, that, and the other and sought many different solutions to my back problems. What I realized was as I got older and finally kind of stepped back a little bit put a little bit more balance in my life is that I, anytime I got really stressed at work or felt like I had a lot of a big load, it all manifested in my lower back. And I was essentially doing that. And, and I know that's a hard concept for all of us to kind of put our arms around and it took me a long time to figure that out, obviously. And now I have different techniques, whether it's yoga, relaxation that I do in order to manage my stress. I'm much more effective. I have much less pain in my life. And so I would definitely tell myself to just chill out a little bit <laughs> and to not be, get so stressed. I mean, and figure out and understand that stress is normal, but also you have to have a practice of letting that stress go if you do manifest it in the way that I did, which was my lower back. And then change is the other thing. And I think we, we love that consistency and the comfort of everything being familiar, but just embrace change because it's going to constantly happen in your career, in your life. You'll go through lots of peaks, but you also go through lots of valleys. And I think it's so important to realize that, that that's natural and normal. And sometimes you don't like it and it feels like, oh, wow, you know, I had all of these great things. And that that's really what happened for me because we had a you know, it was part of a refinery during the golden years when we had nothing but profitable years over and over. And then 2008 hit and we finished a large project that went way over budget. It was supposed to be a $40 million project and it was an $88 million project. And it was in order to comply with um, the ultra low sulfur diesel requirements, compliance requirements. And small refineries had to comply with that a little bit later. 
And so we were kind of late, not late, but we were on time essentially. And that's really once we finished that, (laughs) then the market just crashed on us, right? And so we had a $40 million loan to pay back and had no margin. And you have very little variable cost at a refinery and a lot of fixed costs. So you didn't have a lot of levers to pull. And so change is going to happen and you're going to be high on a cloud one minute and then things can very much be different. So just embracing that and knowing that keeping your ground, being grounded and keeping your values and your principles all in check, knowing that things are going to move in all different directions, but you're, you know, you, you stay consistent with those things. And really, honestly, everything works out in ways you couldn't even imagine. But those two things I would, I would just really try to hit home with my younger self. Hmm. That's, wow. That's a lot of good advice. That was a whole lot more than I was anticipating. Thank you. (laughs) Sure. Well, I want to get to the the final questions that I ask all our guests. But before we do, life isn't all about work, of course. And and I know you've been active in the community as well. Tell us about some of your community involvement. Oh, great. This is my favorite part because one of the huge blessings of becoming part of New Star Energy and most people in San Antonio know what a wonderful organization we have and what a, a, an amazing culture. Mr. Grehe, our chairman, and many of the executives, they all set this up in a way that, I mean, we have a culture of caring and sharing, and that's one of our main things that the culture is about. And so when I came to New Star, I'd always really wanted to be, and I had even professed I wanted to be a community leader, and I still say that, and I don't even know what that means, really. But that dream was able to come true as I came onto New Star because they support each of their employees. If you want to be a part of a nonprofit organization, they really do support and encourage you to do that. And I was like, wow, I can actually like, because before in a smaller organization, you just don't have the time. You're wearing so many hats and there's just not that support. And here there's that tremendous support to, to join. So I am part of Dress for Success and Career Gear, which is a local nonprofit that serves both women and men. Most people think of it just as the women's organization, Dress for Success, but we also have a smaller men's organization. And most people think of it just as the clothes, and it is that is a big part of it. But we are helping men and women who are really at a disadvantage for some reason in their life, and they need help with opportunities to get back into the workforce. So we serve people who are have moved to that point where they're now looking for a job. And we offer, besides the clothes, we offer opportunities for them to come and develop the resume. We do a lot of coaching. We provide mock interviews. We help them with every aspect of searching for a job. And then before their first, or when they get their first interview, we take them in and we give them a full set of clothes from top to bottom, purse, shoes, everything, accessories so that they can go and interview. Once they receive the job, they can come back and they'll get a week's worth of clothes and then they can continue to come back. We have a really wonderful professional women's group and that meets monthly and this that's the way we can support and encourage these ladies as they continue on their journey in their career and getting back on their feet. Most of them, a lot of them are single moms who have been in bad relationships or had just been down on their luck. We do serve a lot of men from Haven for Hope. We suit them upon their graduation. Our men's program isn't as, like I said, it's not as defined. It doesn't have the the programs that the women's program does, but we do allow men to search for jobs and they have computer access and things like that. We'd love to build that. It's just a matter of funding. So it's a wonderful organization. I'm the secretary on the board, been on the board for three years, and I just love that opportunity to serve others and, and make San Antonio a better community. So that's my that's my first wow. passion. And then I also sit on the board of Women's Energy Network, which is a it was a founding member. It's a local professional chapter for women in energy. It's also the same same vein in the sense that it encourages and empower women in energy through education. We do luncheons, we do mentor programs. Uh, we really get to uh, know each other and really help each other as we move through our career. It, it is a male dominated 
world in terms of the energy business. And so this is an opportunity for women to continue to learn and grow and network and, and look for opportunities and possibilities. And, and that's been a wonderful, I'm past president currently, and that's been a wonderful experience for me. I'm also president of the volunteer council here at New Star. <laughs> so okay. I, I like to, I'd like to get involved apparently. And that's <laughs> been, been great as well. And lastly, I just, I'm a charter member of the 100 Women Who Care, and it's a San Antonio club. And it's really a wonderful group of ladies who started this. And there's clubs all over the United States. And, and it's really fun because you just commit to $100 a quarter, so it's 400 a year. We get together quarterly, and three nonprofits come and tell us about their nonprofit. And we all vote, and then However, and hopefully we'll get to 100 women. We're about 35 right now. And we each give $100. And so this last week we voted and, you know, we gave $3,500 away. So we're hoping to, and you get to know, you know, you get to hear about local nonprofits and all the great work that they're doing. And it is, it's a really fun group of ladies, but also something that can really, I think, impact the community and helps us learn more about the need in our community. My gosh. I usually leave a couple minutes towards the end of the podcast for this section, but now I should have flipped it. I have a couple <laughs> minutes for your career, and then right, <laughs> and then twenty or so for the I volunteer. Know. <laughs> I know I could go on and on about that because I just I really do love being a part of the community, and just I think we all are. I think one of the biggest or the the value that I see. Or one of the principles that I've always lived by there, and I have to just say this one, one last thing. I know we're, I'm probably no, running fine. over, but I do, there's a, there's a wonderful book out there, and I do recommend this for anybody and everybody, and definitely young people going, it doesn't matter what profession you are. And I don't know if you've heard of the book, but it's called The Go-Giver by Bob Burge and John Mark, and it has five different principles of success. And it's a wonderful testament to giving is really the way I look at it. And one of the principles that really I've always lived by and probably couldn't really articulate it or define it until the latter part of my life, but one of the values is it says your true worth is determined by how much more you give in value than you take in payment. And I truly believe that. And I think that's People can be successful in whatever career, wherever they choose. If you kind of reframe yourself that way in the sense that, you know, I'm come, yes, I have a job and this is the job I do and I'm paid for that. But what else can I do to over and above? Because I think there's so many opportunities for that and sometimes we don't think like that. And how can I add value to others? How can I add value to New Star? How can I add value to these nonprofit organizations. And man, boy, it comes back in so many, you know, threefold, fourfold. And you'd just be surprised that you don't even expect that. You're just saying, you know, I want to add value. I want to, how can I help you? And it's amazing what happens in your life and what opportunities open up. So that's one piece of advice I love to give my kids. And, but they don't listen to me so much. So, <laughs> so maybe I have the ears of somebody else, right? But just kidding, I have wonderful kids. But that's really important principle to live by. And I, I've seen that by example. I've, my, my previous owner of the refinery, his name was Al Gonzalez, and he was the same way. He always gave back to the community, always given to employees. Mr. Gree, he is the same way. That generation really set that great example, and I think that we have to continue that. Yes, yes. Well, I'm going to put links to all those organizations in that book and the show notes that, that go on the web for this. I, I did have one question. Mm-hmm. I've heard of dress. For success, obviously, career gear. I had never heard that. Is that part of Dress for Success, or is that it, well? It actually Dress for Success is a national organization. Okay. And the Dress for Success locally here in San Antonio, we are our parent company is Successful Connections. So we run Dress for Success, and then there's a separate company called Career Gear. So not every Dress for Success has Career Gear. We chose to do that because we saw the need for the men as well as the women. 
Okay. So in our, we're located down right across from Haven for Hope on Frio Street, and men can come there as well. And there, we we accept donations of suits from men and women. And the same thing, we will suit a man if he's going for an interview. We will suit him top to bottom with, you know, everything he needs to look professional in his interview. So it is a part of Dress for Success in the sense that Successful Connections contains both of those organizations. Okay. Thank you. Thank Mm -hmm. you. Well, getting to the final questions, number one, what has been your proudest moment? My proudest moment, I think, you know, from a career standpoint, I think making it through that Chapter 11 reorganization and maintaining my Integrity, and when I say that, I don't mean that necessarily my integrity was compromised, but it's a very difficult situation. Everything is very much scrutinized and, of course, right? And so you've got, and then you have, besides the bankers in there scrutinizing everything from top to bottom, then you have organizations that are looking at and doing their due diligence, scrutinizing everything top to bottom in order to maybe make an offer on the asset. And I think that actually making the decision, I had to make a decision at the time uh, about midway through the bankruptcy. And we were in bankruptcy for a full year, which was is a long time for a reorganization. But due to some circumstances, we had a large fire at our loading rack, which enabled the, the loading rack and we had to rebuild it and nobody was going to buy it in those conditions. So that pushed us a lot longer. And at midway through our the bankruptcy court decided that they would appoint a trustee. And a trustee comes in, then our CEO was asked to leave and our trustee came in to run the rest of the bankruptcy to ensure that the secured and unsecured creditors received the, the highest value. That's that's the point. And I had the opportunity to, I had a close relationship with the CEO and he wanted me to go with him to run his other businesses. And so on paper and in my head, job security, still money, you know, financially set if I, if I took that route. The other route, other decision then was to stay and finalize the bankruptcy. But if I was to do that, I would for sure, I mean, there was, anybody will tell you if in a management position, you won't have a job at the end of it because they, they come in and reorganize, right? So they're going to, sure. they're going to put new people in all the positions. And so I knew for sure if I stayed that route, I likely wouldn't have a job at the end of it. And so I really had to make a decision and it was a very, very difficult decision. For a lot of reasons, I, I ended up deciding to stay. And I think that was a proud moment because it was more about what was in my heart than what was finance, you know, in my head. Anybody on the outside would say, you are crazy. <laughs> you should go with that CEO and run this other company because of the financial benefit, right? But I had such a, I think, passion for the people and knew that by my, me leaving, not that they couldn't have sold it and done just fine probably with me leaving, but I did have nine years of institutional knowledge. And I had, I mean, from, I wore pretty much every hat in that organization. And so there was a lot, with me walking out the door, there was a lot walking out the doors. And so the trustee and the bankers and the bankruptcy court wanted me to stay. And of course, the CEO wanted me to go. So I had to make a decision and it took a lot of reflection and prayer and those kinds of things to to make that decision. And I decided to stay, which was not a favorable decision from the CEO standpoint. So I knew I'd be cutting off that relationship. And that was difficult for me because I, I enjoyed working with him. But I knew that I needed to finish what I started. I told you I never quit, right? So finishing what I started was more important and ensuring that every single individual at the refinery had a job at the end of this was more important than I think my, I thought, you know what? I'm an accountant. I'm a CPA. I can find a job after this. I will find a job and I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not even going to think about it because I'm going to focus on getting the most value out of this refinery in order to pay back the lenders, which is a very successful conclusion. We did pay back the secured and a a large portion of unsecured, which is very unheard of in a reorganization of that size. 
And then on top of that, what a blessing because New Star came in kind of last minute. And I have to say this, this was all divine intervention. That's <laughs> the way I look at it. New Star came in at the last minute and put a bid in and won. And New Star, when they acquire an asset, they take every single employee. It didn't matter that we were in bankruptcy. They take every single employee and give them a home. And, and I was just like, you know, I couldn't even, you know, I was speechless at that point because the decision I made, which I thought was going to be so, which was very difficult and thought would end in me being unemployed. And of course, as I mentioned previously, my husband didn't work other than our other business, which couldn't support us. So it was a, it was a very difficult decision. And I do believe it, it was meant to be. And I came to New Star and was part of an acquisition. And I was just amazed at the care they took at looking at each employee and determining where the best place to put them in the organization and kept us whole, if not better off than we were previously. And like I said, I couldn't have asked for a more wonderful outcome to that really, really difficult situation. Wow. Well, tell us about a mistake you've made and what you learned from it, of course. Right. And the more colossal, the better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this one was hard because I think when I make a mistake, I feel like, you know, I mean, we're just like everyone. It's like, man, you do beat yourself up for a long time about it. So the one that I really remember so vividly, and this was when I worked for the refinery, we were an S-Corp and we made dividends to our shareholders. And there was a lot of tax implications. And so I worked closely with our tax accountants, of course. I'm not a tax accountant. I think people have a misconception when you're a CPA that you're a tax accountant, (laughs) but you're not. There's a specialized group of people. And I I didn't review the work as closely as I should have. Things were moving very quickly. And I didn't review the work as closely as I should, and we made a large dividend payment to our shareholder. And I'm not going to disclose the amount, but there were lots of zeros behind it. And after, I don't know, it was a few months later, I was looking at the work papers again, and we were, I know I was talking with our lenders about something, and they asked me a question around the dividend. So I went back and looked at everything, and then I realized, and I called our tax accountants, I'm like, I think we made an overpayment to our shareholder. And like I said, this was a large overpayment, lots of zeros behind it. So I knew, number one, that if we did make, if, the, if I did make this mistake, essentially, our shareholder was going to be, and the money had to come back into the organization because we, again, it was a more technical tax situation, then he was going to be very unhappy, right? That we, <laughs> I mean, what a, what a mistake, right? But on top of that, we had loan covenants that then we would have been in non-compliance with those loan covenants. And so there was a whole, this whole situation was, there was a lot of parts and pieces, a lot of people involved. And whenever I presented it to my shareholder that likely we had made this, I had made this mistake and I hadn't reviewed the work as closely. And he's, he was like, you know, that, that can't be right. You know, I, I, there's no way I'm going to pay back this much money. And I, I had to break it down and provide that information and say, you know, yes, yes, you do. Like there's no other, I don't see any gray areas here and we can't move forward unless you make that payment back to the organization. And so my credibility with him, I felt was tarnished as well as my credibility with the banks. But what I, what I learned through the process was just being totally transparent and honest and really stepping through what I believe happened and how it happened. And then what my resolution was, which in this case, it was, there was only one, which would be that the shareholder had paid the money back to the organization. And I think the the lesson learned from that was a big dollar amount mistake is that we're going to make mistakes. Oh my goodness, we are. Sure. And hopefully they're not as large as that, but they can be. And I think that what's so important is that you are honest and transparent and you walk through kind of what happened, but you also always have your solution or what you believe the answer is as you go to present the situation. And so I learned a lot from that. And and many times in my life when I made mistakes, the the best policy is just to be completely honest and transparent and know that likely you're going to make a mistake again at some point. And you, when you can put it all out there and 
let them know that you weren't by any means trying to to cause any you know fraud or anything other than just a mistake that that ultimately happened, then it really does it works itself out. And like I said the payments were made back, and the the bank was that we didn't go into default on anything, so it worked out. It worked out for the best. Thank you. Thank mm-hmm. you for sharing so much of that. I know this is a hard question for for some of our guests, but I keep it in here because so many times what comes out of it is that whatever the mistake was, the important thing is that you own up to it quickly and, and work towards resolution. And and so I and, and I like that being a theme on the podcast. So thank thank you very much. Well the last question before we, we close down the interview What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? This one is hard because I have had so much wonder. I've had wonderful mentors, and I, I think it kind of it goes back to exactly what you just said. I had a boss that I truly loved working for because he challenged me. And when I had a, a problem or a situation or something I couldn't necessarily figure out and needed to, to present to him... He would always say to me, well, don't come without a resolution. And what he meant by that wasn't like you have to have it. It doesn't mean you have to have it all figured out because obviously there's a collaborative process in figuring out situations. But what he meant was don't just come to me and plop the problem down and say, well, look, here's the problem. And then just, you know, stop there. You really think through it. Think about what that solution could be based on your experience and your knowledge. And it may not end up being that's the solution, but you've come and you've presented your ideas. And that, again, helps you to become a better communicator, a better analyst, because you're thinking through processes. And And I think for me, that was one, I think I knew that, but I had never had anyone, I hadn't had anyone present it to me that way. Like, you know, come with that solution. And so now when I do anything, like any, you know, I, I think about from the person that I'm going to sit across the table at and present to, I'm going to, I think about what questions are they going to have? What other things should I think about before I get in front of them and try to answer as best as I can all of those questions? And then you, you just have this wonderful opportunity to continue to collaborate and grow the situation to, to a final resolution. So I think that that in itself from a real technical career standpoint was, was a great piece of advice. Thank you. That, that is, yes, don't, when you have a problem, don't present it without a possible solution. That's, That's right. That is wonderful advice for, for your overall career. Mm-hmm. Well, well, thank you, Lisa. This has been very helpful. I, you know, when I go through the editing process, as I'm listening to the, the interview later on, I try to pick out a clip that's, that's appropriate, you know, for the beginning to, to give people an idea of, of what they're about to hear. And, and I'm going to have a hard time selecting the right clip. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's a compliment. I don't know. <laughs> Oh, yes, yes, of course. <laughs> of course. Well, I appreciate that. And I really appreciate what you're doing, Mark. I just, I am, as we talked about uh, when we had our conversation previously, I'm a podcast junkie, as you are. Like, I love to listen to podcasts when I run. Mm-hmm. And I love, and like I said, you're making one of my my dreams come true today by actually being on a podcast. And I hope that, and I've, I haven't been through all of your podcasts, but I bet you have an amazing story. And I don't know if you've done your story on your podcast, but I hope at some point you have a co-host and you can tell your story. Oh, my God. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I'm putting that challenge out there to you. Like, I can't end this without challenging you, right? Because oh, I, wow. I don't know. I think that would be just fascinating. I think your listeners would really love that as well. So just something <laughs> to think about. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I, I, I will put that on the list. Wow. There you go. <laughs> I'm not usually speechless, but thank you. <laughs> Well, thank you again. I think with that, we'll we'll shut it down. But I, I really hope you have a great rest of your summer and great week. I appreciate it. You too, Mark. Thanks so much. No problem. Have a good day. You too. Bye-bye. As I mentioned in the intro, you really just can't help but appreciate Lisa's positive energy. She really was fun to interview. 
I joked about it in the end, but had I known how involved she was in the community, I really would have dove into that a little earlier in the program. I certainly wouldn't have wanted to shorten the conversation about her role there at Newstar and and her previous career as well, but I know there's just a whole lot more to cover in the area of her community involvement. That really was a pleasure to record. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. Please visit us online as well at www.whereaccountantsgo.com for the full show notes on all our 40 plus other episodes dating back to last October. I hope you have a wonderful week. Thank you so much for joining us. There's more to come.